Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Miles Varn. He's the Chief Medical Officer of Pinnacle Care. He's responsible for bringing new medical advances to the Pinnacle Care team. Dr. Varn also is continually building Pinnacle Care's network of top centers of excellence and top physicians around the world and is the chief contact with the Distinguished Pinnacle Care Medical Advisory Board. He joined Pinnacle Care after 15 years of innovation and leadership at Innova Fairfax Hospital a level one trauma center with 75,000 patient visits per year. In 2004, Dr. Varn was awarded the Innova Health Systems Service Excellence Legend Award for Extraordinary Patient Care. He is a member of the American College of Emergency Physician and American Academy of Family Physicians. He earned his medical degree from the University of Virginia School of Medicine in 1988, and since then has the patient at the center of everything that he does and is doing a phenomenal job with the work of Pinnacle Care to continuing that mission. So today we're going to dive into the work that he and the, and the Pinnacle Care team are up to, as well as some of his thoughts in general on the healthcare system and making it better. So without further ado, just want to welcome you to the podcast, Miles. Thank you, Saul. Appreciate being here. Absolutely. And, and so did I leave anything out in that intro that you want to educate the listeners on? Yeah, just briefly, uh, a lot of what I do these days is work with our strategy people. So in my kind of early life with clinical care, most of what I did, and I still do a lot of it, is is go to the academic and other centers of excellence and, and understand their strengths and maybe their weaknesses and set up relationships and really get a picture of healthcare systems uh, more diversely. But now a lot of my time I spend with corporate benefits folks and uh, strategists for companies like Express Scripts. So I've really been fortunate to kind of see the interface between employer groups and other providers of healthcare in different ways. And then the the, uh, top centers and people and providers. So it's been a great journey to get here, but it's also given me a great perspective on healthcare that I don't think many people have that opportunity to see. Yeah, that's really interesting, and and um, I think I'm you know really glad you mentioned that because you think of who is paying for healthcare, and a lot of it is insurance, a lot of it is employers. You know, I've seen a lot of change and more motivation from employers to really do more to curb the costs, and so be interesting to hear some of your thoughts on on that. But before we jump into that, Miles, what got you into the healthcare sector? Well, I come from a family of oral surgeons, my father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and uh, cool. and so I thought I was headed down that path. But my, my father did volunteer work, and when I was 10, he took the whole family to Mexico for a month, and we traveled, and he did volunteer work in dentistry. And, and then again, uh, we went to Haiti when I was 14, hmm. which is an amazingly impoverished country that's so yeah. close to the U.S., and and I was his assistant. And uh, in that experience, it really became more of a calling to do something to help people in the healthcare world. And for me, medicine was a better path than dentistry, much to my father's regret in some ways and uh, respect in other ways. But that's how I got into it. It really was seeing people who needed help and 
in, in wanting to help those people. Wow. That's a neat story, Miles. And uh, really special that, that your dad took you on these trips. And, you know, you didn't get into dentistry, but you stayed in the medicine field. And, and now I have a greater appreciation for your passion for, for caring for people and why that's the, the North Star for you. So what would you say is a hot topic that needs to be on health leaders' agendas today? You know, I, th- I think navigation is really the hot topic in my mind. And, and I know that's somewhat of a vague term, but by that, by that I mean the healthcare system, as we all know, is increasingly complex from a technology perspective, from a pharma perspective, from an access to resource perspective. And so the, the ability for an individual patient to actually get to the place or the person or the people who can help them achieve the greatest outcome honestly and truly requires help. And I say that, you know, having help family members and friends, it's not easy. So I think we've got to provide patients and as clients with means to get out of a local system when they should get out of a local system or means to change providers when it's in their best interest. Because we know as a company that, you know, even though we objectively work with the individual patient, that's all we care about. We know that that better care leads to better outcomes in terms of accurate diagnoses, accurate treatment plans, save surgeries. And so what I would say needs to be at the forefront is how do we get help people get to those places and people that will lead to better outcomes for everyone, for them as an individual patient, but for the system as a whole. I think it's a great, great point. And uh, navigation, let's face it, it's not easy. And uh, even as healthcare experts, right? Everybody listening to this, you could probably even attest, it's not easy to navigate. Imagine people that don't know what you know about the health system. So I think you're coming up with a really great focus area here, Dr. Varn. And so give us an example of, of what Pinnacle Care is doing to make navigation easier to improve outcomes. Yeah, so we, we take the burden off of the patient. And by that, I mean, you know, we understand their wants, wishes, likes, fears in terms of their problem. And then we design a plan that fits their needs. So sometimes that might be looking at a case, looking at the records and saying, you know what, you are doing all the things that you should do and you really shouldn't change anything. And I think it's important at times for a patient to hear that because it's not only reassuring, but it's not leading them down the rabbit hole of go see another provider, go see another provider, get another opinion. So that's one component. On the other side, though, we do pathology reviews. And, and for example, for any client we have with ductal carcinoma in situ, we do a pathology reread. And the reason is we know in the literature there's about a 30% chance of a misdiagnosis. And that's high enough that at our cost, we pay for an expert at either Johns Hopkins or Sloan Kettering to review those slides and give an accurate diagnosis. Because quite honestly, pathologists, as any physician, are just humans who, who have uh, used their judgment. And um, we're all flawed in that regard. So in that process, we've now had three women who were diagnosed with breast cancer who on pathology review did not have breast cancer. Now, that's a powerful thing in terms of, you know, the cost of radiation and chemo and surgery that was saved. There are real dollars there, and I understand it's important. But most importantly, 
you know, these are women who would have gone through procedures they didn't need, who would have had a lifetime of survivorship, of surveillance for a condition they didn't have. They have to worry about their daughters and the impact. It's a very powerful thing to change the direction of care by getting it right. So, you know, those have been our victories, the, the times where we have simply taken advantage of the expertise that exists in the system and brought it to the patient for their benefit. We all win in that situation. Everyone wins. I think that's a great example. And I mean, you can't quantify a life. So that's a really uh, beautiful thing that you guys have done with the business and uh, sort of the, the things that you guys give back, how you give back. Now, I think about the timeline for somebody to, to join. It's just when do they join? How do they get involved? And do people usually contact you guys when they're deep in the trenches of fighting something or are they proactive? How does that work? Yeah. So, you know, we have a diverse line of business. And so we, we started with individuals and families. And so for them, they were used to having advisors and we became the healthcare side of that. And it makes sense for people who, you know, have the means and so mm -hmm. forth. So, so about half of those people come to us without a specific problem. And our job is to help them achieve goals that ensure their longevity. So those are nutrition and fitness and sleep and stress management and bringing resources to help them achieve those goals. Because I tell people all the time that you can't pay someone to eat well for you and you can't pay someone to exercise for you. It's you. <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. Amen. So on the, on the other side, we have strategic partners and we have uh, employers in which we take care of all their employees. And in those relationships, we've taken what was a full service relationship based, you know, all encompassing business. And we've broken it out into expert second opinions, navigation, research reports that educate the patient or identify clinical trials, virtual consultations, identification of top physicians for a particular problem. So those larger groups of people access a diverse collection of services, and we help navigate the patient to the right one for their situation. So again, it may be just confirming you're on the right path, stay with it, or it may be getting several opinions to help them understand and be fully informed about a complex medical situation. So as we've grown, it's always been my mission to touch more people, and it, and it still is. And, and so we've, we've gone from families, maybe a 1,000 families in the beginning, to now having almost 3.5 million people who have access to our services. And that's really one of the things that drives me every day. Tremendous. So I, at the beginning of the podcast, I, I sort of brought up the topic of healthcare sponsored by employers, costs going up. What are you seeing there? You know, and you mentioned it being one of the unique areas that you've gotten a, a glimpse at. What's your take on that temperature and, and the changes and what's, what's happening there? Yeah, you know, my take is that there's a lot of misdiagnosis. There's a lot of inappropriate treatment plans and there's a lot of cost waste that goes into those two problems. And mm -hmm. what we see in our data from our individual clients, not the high net worth necessarily, but the individual clients is this. We see about a 16% change in diagnosis. We see about a 23% change in treatment. We save 8% of people we work with from surgery that they were going to have that they didn't need. Wow. And about half the people we work with change providers on the basis 
of our involvement in their health care. So there's low-hanging fruit in terms of cost, because if you don't get it right, for example, the women who didn't have breast cancer, if you don't get it right in the beginning, then everything that follows is going to be a waste of money. Yep. So I think, quite honestly, there, there are a lot of ways to change the way we direct patients. And it shouldn't be either, you know, the stuck-in-one-system referral process or the good old boy referral process or those things that aren't necessarily for the benefit of the patient specifically. You know, we need to start developing a mindset that sometimes local care for complex problems isn't the right solution. And maybe it's regional care. And yes, in network, because not a lot of people can get on a private plane and fly to Houston and live for six months. So yes, we have to stay in network. And yes, we have to find them places they can drive to that are not terribly inconvenient. But we can bring that expertise to the patient in the local or regional environment. What's your take on um, medical tourism? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. I, I think outbound medical tourism, and we've, we've been involved in both. There are centers that do it cheaper and they do it well. The trouble is a complication. You've gone off, yeah. you've had you know, joint replacement in uh, another country and you come back and suddenly there's an infection. The right. trouble is no one wants to touch you. No one right. wants that problem at that point. So there is risk. And, you know, there's risk certainly here domestically, same kind of risk, but handling the problems. The follow-up. You know, it's just exactly. Yeah. Now, I will say there are some resources offshore, and this is not necessarily for everyone, but, you know, the conventional medical system in the U.S. doesn't manage some things terribly well. There are not a lot of opportunities. And, and some of our clients have decided to go offshore for stem cells or other treatments. And we've been involved in trying to vet those centers because the last thing we want them to do is, is go off to a place that's going to hurt them. Yes. But I, you know, my eyes have been open to the fact that some conditions are not responding today and now to uh, conventional U.S.-based medicine. And those patients at least deserve the opportunity to know about good places that might be able to help them. Yeah, I think that's a, a really worthwhile point. And gosh, it's so interesting, right, uh, Miles? Like we, we're a global economy, yet everything is so focused here on, on medicine. A lot of questions to be asked and a lot of things that you and your team could really help vet out for employers listening to this and, and patients, right? I mean, we're all a patient. We all need the care. Why not get yeah. the best care? Definitely, definitely. So tell us a little bit about a setback. Things have, haven't always been working really well for you guys, and we learn most from our failures. Can you share with us a story that things didn't work out so well and what you guys learned from it? Yeah, and this, you know, this is kind of a personal story. So, you know, my wife had a little lesion on her, her kind of shoulder area, and mm -hmm. it itched, and she complained about it for a couple of months. And I said, well, I know it's nothing bad, but you should probably have a dermatologist look at it. And the dermatologist, who's a very well-trained dermatologist, looked at it and said, well, it's nothing bad, but let's do a shade biopsy. And three weeks later, we get a call. It's a melanoma, and wow. it's a pretty high-grade melanoma. Oh, um, boy. Not at all what anyone expected. Yeah. And um, now we've done a shade biopsy, so it's got to be excised and fentanyl node biopsy. So I go into my corporate mode, and the first thing I do is call you know, one of my advisory board members who's a melanoma guru and then call another one and, and I get her set up with the top surgeon at Hopkins and, uh, you know, we spent an hour and a half with her and that was great. And then they were going to schedule the surgery six weeks later. I get it moved up three weeks 
you know, go with her to the surgery and, and everything turned out well, no complications, all good, good margins. She's, she's now five years out and fine. But after I that, that, I said to her, you know, you seem, you seem kind of disappointed for some reason. I'm trying to understand what's going on. Yeah. And what she said to me was this, and I, I'll never forget it. She said, you know, you are fantastic at your job and you did a lot of good things. But what I needed was a husband and, mm. uh, you know, I needed someone to address my fears and, you know, that I didn't need someone to be my navigator or advocate. And that was a very powerful message. And it woke me up to the fact that there's so many people who have to serve that role and they really need to be a husband or a wife to the patient. They need help with all the logistics so that they don't have to do that. And it's certainly made it clear to me that compassion and that shoulder to cry on and that fear is a real thing for the patient that needs to be considered by all of us who are involved in healthcare. You've got to keep your eyes open to it. It's easy to get into do it mode rather than feel it mode. Yeah, that that is such a great message, Miles. And yeah, it's like, you know, you, you just put your hat on, right? I mean, that's what you do. But wow, it's a good reminder that we have to be there emotionally as well as getting all the logistics done. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's, I understand now, you know, the patient perspective and, the, and that's mm-hmm. critical in terms of engaging patients and, and helping my team engage patients. Wow. That's a great story. And I'm glad your wife's doing better now. Well, thank you. Thank you. So that's uh, one side of the coin. How about on the other side? Give us one of your proudest medical leadership experiences? There are a couple of them. I'll give you two. One was we were referred to our company, someone who was on the board of MD Anderson at one point, not Mm -hmm. not at the time. And he was referred to us for help because he had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So it's quite an honor to be able to take someone who's being referred by an institution that is a top cancer center and you know, that, that made me proud of our team that we had established ourselves as, as a leader in a way that even the leaders in some ways look to us for help for their important people. Second story is, is really a case story. We took care of this retired Brigham-trained uh, thoracic surgeon down in Orlando, and he'd come to us through his granddaughter, and he was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. And she said, look, I just want to make sure there's nothing more out there for him this is it, that's fine. And he had moved from independent living to assisted living to assisted living with help. And, you know, I talked to him and he was confused at times, but lucid at other times. And we went through his records and I'm not a neurologist, but I read through the records and, and I had been seen in Mayo Jacksonville and there had been some some consideration of a condition called normal pressure hydrocephalus. And I gave the records to my medical director and I said, look, read through these let me know what she's to think. And he said, I think he has a normal pressure hydrocephalus. So we, we called his local neurologist to try to get a procedure done to, to help diagnose him. And the, the neurologist actually wrote a letter back saying, this is not the right advice, blah, blah, blah. So we, we got him an appointment at the Brigham where he trained with a neurologist who was willing to see him on a Saturday for two hours. And, you know, you have to understand this is someone who's intermittently confused, intermittently incontinent, intermittently unable to walk without yeah. assistance. So we arranged everything. It snows. So we've got oh, wow. now that to throw in there. But he has the appointment. The neurologist says, I think he has normal pressure hydrocephalus. They do the test that he needed. They proved it. They put in a shunt. And he went from 
assisted living with help, back to independent living. He got his driver's license back. But what he had told me a year before, shortly after New Year's, he said, you know, the one thing I miss the most is dancing with my wife on New Year's Eve. We've been married 60 years. So he called me following New Year's after he had had recovered. And he said, I just want to let you know, I danced with my wife this New Year's. And so those sort of victories are are the victories that inspire me. They're the individual patient experiences. And for for a guy like that, the, you know, the granddaughter said, we, we got our grandfather back. It's all about that for all of us, that individual patient. That's wonderful. What a great story. And gosh, so many people get lost in the system. And, you know, it's uh, nobody has a foolproof solution. So I, I think it's Great to have the the option, the expertise, the persistence that your team provides. So what, what about uh, the most exciting project or focus you guys are working on today? What is it? So we are, we've become um, powered by, for a number of academic institutions, for anyone wanting virtual opinions, so remote second opinions. So we do this for Sloan Kettering. We do it for Yale. We do it for Lori Children's and some others. And so the volume of those cases is becoming increasingly larger and larger. So people from all over are being able to access top resources with our help. So we now see probably between two and three cases a day going to experts at Sloan Kettering alone. And we see what's going back out into the field in the way of you know, advice, direction, mint, position to position, you know, and the potential impact that that, that can have. So we're expanding those resources, we're growing those relationships. And again, with the goal of bringing expertise to more people, better outcomes for everyone, including the employers, the payers, but most importantly, for those individual patients. Wow, that's really powerful and interesting. And uh, why not? We have the technology, you guys have established the network, why not? I think it's great. So, Dr. Varn, getting close to the end of the interview here, we're going to do a lightning round. So, I got a couple questions for sure. you, followed by your favorite book for the listeners. You ready? Okay. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? You've got to engage the patient and you've got to navigate them to the right resource for their particular problem in a personal way. I love that. The empathy there. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? It's to assume that one engagement strategy is going to work. It's not about a portal. It's not about an app. It's not about a website. It's about a human being connecting with another human being. That's what's going to lead to better engagement. Love that. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? We're 18 years old, and we've always gone one way and then another way. And I tell our folks all the time that, you know, if you think the way we've always done it is the way that's going to work for the future, then we're done now. So we, <laughs> we constantly look for ways to evolve into a better company. And stagnation is really not something that's a part of our culture. We encourage creativism with ideas and with solutions. And quite honestly, some of the best solutions have not come from our physician team, but they've come from the non-physician people who work for us. Powerful. And what's an area of focus that drives everything at Pinnacle Care? It's compassion, quite honestly. You know, we have a culture of compassion. And, you know, it's some of what I talk about in terms of my my background uh, growing up and some of my 
personal experiences, in the end, we work in an open environment. I hear our people talking to the client, and it comes across as sincere and caring. And that is our culture across our entire group of business. Even though the folks who sweep the floor, one of our companies, we make sure that that person gets the same treatment as the billionaire. That's important to us. It's all the same. It's all about compassion. Love that. These next two are more on a personal note for the listeners to get to know you. What is your number one health habit? I am a triathlete. So cool. I've done Ironman competitions. Oh, you have? And, wow. uh, and luster ones. I'm, I'm more in the realm of Olympic, the Ironman. Um, yeah. Uh, my wife does those also, you know, the kind of five-hour bike ride on a Saturday and then tag high five and then I go out for five hours, just doesn't work for our kids' schedule. So, <laughs> yeah. so for me, it's all about exercise. I, I think exercise is, is a powerful medicine. That's awesome. And uh, how about your number one success habit? I would say number one success habit is to not sweat the little stuff. There's so many things in this professional world and even the personal world that little things that can be big things if you let them be big things. And you got to move past the little stuff and look at the big picture. And even in a personal level, the road to longevity is riddled with failures. And how you mm -hmm. handle those failures is really what makes you succeed or, or not. And so I think it's important to not be too hard on yourself for not being perfect. Love that. It's a great one, Miles. And uh, what book would you recommend to the listeners? So um, I like The Emperor of All Maladies. Mukherjee. And part of it is an amazing story about the development of CAR T-cell therapy. It's a very hopeful book, and I encourage people who might be in a position to take advantage of that innovation to read it, because the message is that, you know, one, I believe that we have a system in this country that is the world's best by far, despite all the money that we throw at it and so forth. We have unique resources, and we have researchers who are doing the best research. And, and you read that book, and, and you come away feeling uh, very powerfully motivated to be a part of it. Great recommendation. Folks, if uh, you want to get the full transcript of our discussion with Dr. Miles Varn from Pinnacle Care, go to outcomesrocket.health in the search bar, type in Pinnacle Care, or type in Varn. V is in violin, A-R-N. And you'll find all of that there, including the show notes, the short notes, the long notes, links to all the things that we've discussed. Miles, this has truly been a pleasure. I'd love if you could just uh, leave us with the closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could reach out and continue the conversation with you and your team. So the best place to find us is www.pinnaclecare.com or me, CMO at pinnaclecare.com. And the closing thought is this, in whatever you do in healthcare, I encourage you to always consider the patient. That's what we're here for. It's not about us in terms of physicians or physician leaders or about administrators or, or people doing the work. In the end, as I tell patients, it's all about you and make decisions that are right for you. And your decisions might be different than my decisions, but you want to be fully informed and make what's right for you at the time. So that's my message. And, and thank you all for listening. Thanks all for having me. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.